Welcome to the S2 Cognition Podcast. S2 is the official cognitive evaluation in sports, from youth to pro, where athletes and coaches build to win. Welcome to the S2 Cognition Podcast. I'm your host, Harrison Hunter, and today we are again joined by our esteemed guest, Dr. Theodore Bayshore. Ted earned his PhD in clinical and biological psychology from the University of Northern Colorado. He has been a professor of psychology at the Medical Center of Pennsylvania, the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign, and the University of Northern Colorado. Ted has an extensive scientific research publication record in the cognitive and neurosciences that has focused on understanding the structure and time of neurocognitive processing speed and speeded reactions in normal aging, neurological disease, and elite athletes. Prior to his academic career, Ted was a two-sport collegiate athlete at UCLA, where he played linebacker for the football team and first base for the baseball team. He was drafted by the Braves in 1965 and spent five years as a professional baseball player with the Braves and the New York Mets, playing alongside the likes, or against the likes, of MLB stars Dusty Baker, Tom Sievert, and Nolan Ryan. Today, we dive into two critical components of athletes' split-second decision-making, accuracy and speed, and how knowing this information about your athletes can help you understand and predict their on-field, court, or ice decision-making. All of that is coming up here on the S2 Cognition Podcast. And as always, please subscribe, rate, leave a review, and share the podcast with a friend. Dr. Ted Bayshore, round two, coming up next. All of human performance can be impacted by trade-offs between performing fast and performing accurately. There are often conflicts between speed and accuracy, such that trying to perform a task really fast can often lead to risk of making more mistakes. And similarly, trying to be too cautious and focus on being accurate can slow your performance speed. Let's think of everyday examples that we're all familiar with. Envision yourself typing a text too fast, right? That can lead to typos and vice versa. You know, wanting to focus on spelling or grammar structure will slow down your ability to send the message fast. We can think of countless examples where we trade speed for accuracy. For athletes, these trade-offs have vital importance. Using an athlete example, let's take a look at a quarterback in the pocket. He has a finite amount of time to get the ball out of his hands, but by contrast, he can't just throw the ball wherever he wants to without consequences. There's a speed element and an accuracy element. He needs to be fast, but he also has to make the right decision. These outcomes have direct impact on making winning or losing decisions. Before turning to athletes though, Ted, can you give us more insight into the nature of speed accuracy trade-offs in human performance and how we measure it? The kinds of instructions that you give to uh, the participant, the observer, to use a word from the 19th century, in the experiment, um, can have a profound impact on their performance, their speed and their accuracy. You can have, and commonly, what we do is we, uh, we ask our subjects to balance speed with accuracy, to try to uh, perform at a relatively fast speed, but with a reasonably high level of accuracy. And you practice people up, so, and we humans are very good at establishing those kinds of balances. So, okay, I want you to go as fast as you can while maintaining 94, 95, 96 and accuracy, okay? And, um, uh, or we can talk to folks about being accurate. Make certain that you're as accurate as you can be. We're gonna penalize you, you know, we'll take, you know, we'll take uh, a penny away from your, you know, we set up a little payment fund or something like this. Well, you lose a penny if you make a mistake, you gain a penny if you, if you don't, something like that, okay? So there's an incentive for, uh, 
um, being accurate and try to get as close to 100% as possible. Will people slow down under those circumstances? Or we can emphasize speed. And later I'll talk about this Coles et al. study. And I'll say right now something that's not noted in the paper, although I wanted it to be noted in the paper. In that particular study, I was, at that point in time, I was a postdoc at the University of Illinois and I was an assistant baseball coach. So I recruited the baseball players from the team. I got 10 guys, 12 guys from the team to be subjects. And we pressed them for speed. And we told them what we wanted them to do is perform at about 75%. Not to guess, they had a reaction time task where they had one of two targets they had to respond to, a letter H or a letter S. So 50%, they're responding at chance. So we wanted them to hit at about 75%. Well, these guys had very good nervous systems, and they were hitting at 75, 76, 77% accuracy. That allowed us to look at their ability to inhibit, to stop incorrect responses and make the correct response. And we measured activation at the EMG level. They were doing squeezes, squeezing dynamometers. And we were measuring... EMG activation at the forearm, and activation of the response device. So we could see when the muscle was activated, when the response device was activated, and we set a threshold for their responding. We set it at 25% of their maximum response. So they could, they, could, they could get pretty far out into the response and then stop and correct an incorrect response and make the correct response. So we were able to really finely articulate this input-output process. And we did something else that I'll talk about a bit later, okay? So speed accuracy instructions, accuracy instructions, speed instructions, and they have implications for performance. Well, now that we understand the how everything is tested and measured and, and how we're measuring these type of decisions with speed and accuracy, I'd love for Scott, Brandon, you guys to jump in and both explain why is this important? Right now we've gone over the how. Can you explain why it's important? important to measure these two components of decision making? You know, I'll take the first stab at it and let and let Scott jump in because this is certainly his his area of expertise. But you know, Ted, as as you know, um uh moving from the how to the why on our on our evaluation we have four tests where you really truly have to balance speed and accuracy. And each of these four tests required Definitely sub-second response times, but oftentimes sub-half-second response times. Um, and I think just for a, a lack of a better terminology that I struggle with, um, we oftentimes say an athlete has a preference for speed over accuracy or has a preference for accuracy over speed. But preference is really a bad word here, right, Ted? I mean, we're talking less than half a second. So it's not like the athlete is deciding, hey, I would rather be fast than correct, or I would rather be correct than, than fast. Can you just really quickly walk us through how different individuals are wired for preference or wired for a response like that? Yeah, I, uh, I don't know if I can uh, characterize the relative contributions of wiring vis-a-vis control decisions that, a, that an athlete makes, the kind of executive functions, okay, making decisions as to how they're going to approach playing the game. And I think that they're certainly among younger players, they may make the decision, I have to be fast. And so they, they set up this context of speed. I am going to be as 
fast as I can be. Now, of course, when we emphasize speed in our approach to playing a game, we really, really increase the likelihood that we're going to, to make errors. Now, it very well be the case that in those circumstances, that kind of decision-making begins to change as a person gains experience, as they discover that if they slow themselves down a little bit, they're going to reduce the likelihood of errors. Okay, so there we're talking about executive decisions. Now, what are what's the underlying wiring? I don't know. It may very well be the case. You see these kids, you know, you see young athletes who do it well right out of the gate, okay? And it may be the case that they understand themselves in a reasonably good way. They understand a little bit sort of in an implicit, intuitive way how to play the game. They understand that they have to slow themselves down a bit to, uh, to increase the likelihood of their behaving in precise, accurate ways. Or there may be some underwiring wiring difference, uh, underlying wiring difference. I don't know uh, how we can reconcile the two, but we do know what performance looks like when players are playing out of control. When players are emphasizing speed, they're making mistakes. We also know what it looks like at the other end when players are being cautious and tentative. And they may not be making a lot of mistakes, but they're not making the kind of plays that you, you know, they catch the ball deliberately, but they don't make the throw in a timely fashion. The shortstop who just, you know, the runner beats the throw by, uh, by two steps every time, okay? They're being slow, they're being cautious, and they're catching the ball but they're not releasing it properly. They're, they're, they're not making the throw in a timely fashion. So we see that. We recognize that. We know when players are playing, when, when, when we talk about them playing with a certain kind of controlled aggression, they're playing at a pretty good speed. They're making some mistakes, but not a whole lot. Okay. And, and we see that too. We're, the origins, it's a complicated question. That, this uh, is a really interesting discussion, Ted, because positionally in football, we see an average athlete breakdown by position quite frequently. So NFL running backs tend to be at the 90th percentile for speed and the 10th percentile for accuracy. And you could see the, the, the reasons why that's behind that. Whether they're coached that way, because I feel like the mistake we make as coaches for youth athletes is it is everything is about speed. It's about you have to be the fastest as, as you can. Um, and so I don't know if it's a chicken or egg thing that these guys, these NFL guys are just wired for speed. Um, and that's what they need, but you certainly see differences in styles of play as in the Le'Veon Bells, uh, and at times Ezekiel Elliott, how they can actually switch and toggle between being just to hit the hole really fast back and being this patient back. Whereas, you know, quarterbacks and safeties tend to focus on accuracy over speed. Um, that, that is, that's, um, I'm glad you just sort of touched on that a bit about the coaching aspect and being this, being able to sort of potentially develop athletes in a way that they can learn what it's like to play super fast and, and be prone to error. Right. And also be very patient and slow, um, and perhaps miss some things. Right. And, um, one of the things we talk about in, in science, right, is errorless learning. But in sports, I think the learning piece is critical because we've got to be in an, in, an, in an environment where we can be okay with making mistakes, 
right? If you've got a quarterback and you're telling him to be as fast as possible, well, he's going to throw some interceptions. And, and we've got to be okay with that in a practice environment uh, versus being extremely patient, maybe taking a sack where we've got to be okay with that. So it's interesting to think through about how these athletes at the highest level tend to fall in certain buckets about wired for speed versus wired for accuracy. Yes. And one of the things that actually troubles me, we talk about being a good athlete. It always seems to be the case that essential to being a good athlete is being fast. And that's not necessarily the case in my view. There are ways you can, you don't have to be the fastest runner on the team to be a really great athlete. Okay. And I think there's a tendency to confuse being fast with being a fine athlete. I mean, we should be looking at quickness as a measure. First step quickness, second step quickness, exploding out of the starting, yeah, out of the blocks, if you will. Okay. And so I think that that may encourage kids early on to press for speed because they think that's what constitutes being a good athlete. And I will say when you were talking about the running backs, like Bell, for example, when I look at him, he's incredible to me because I see him as combining patience, like Nick Chum is another back that I was impressed with. I remember seeing him in college. Patient, get the ball in their hands, and you can see that they're paying attention to the movement in front of them, but then they have the capacity, boom, when they see a hole to explode into it. They don't just take the ball, take the handoff, and explode into the line. They are paying attention to the movement in front of them, and then, boom, they hit the hole explosively. Those are the kinds of running backs I like to see, you know. And yeah, I, know I, I was having that is hardwired or how much of it is taught, you know. I, I just right. It, it's uh, I, I was having a long conversation with the University of Tulsa running back coach, um, and his system is devised on waiting for contact before you explode. So you may get the ball and then you have to wait for a lineman to make a specific contact with a player before you, before you hit the hole. Um, and that's a, that's a teaching philosophy, um, a sort of a, a system, if you will. But it's interesting to think of, can we select backs that are, <laughs> that show that type of pattern that would have more success in that sort of setup versus, um, you know, these hit hit the whole first kind of guys. Yes. Well, I think that we probably can. And one of the ways we can is by looking at how they're able to balance speed with accuracy on simple laboratory tests, like the sorts of things that you're doing with uh, S2 cognition and looking at, and, you know, this uh, speed accuracy trade-off space, if you will, and speed accuracy trade-off. Faster you go, the greater likelihood of making errors, the slower you go, the lower the likelihood, balance someplace in between. But, you know, in the ideal case, you find someone who's really very fast and also very accurate. You know, that's that's the rare exception. But in terms of coaching, you can probably, and I, well, I'll back off a little bit here. Coaching, like the, the Tulsa coach, suggests to me that's, that's the way I would want to approach coaching running backs. I would want to, I would want them to, I would want to encourage patience and then boom, exploding into the hole and working, you know, developing drills to do that sort of thing. But it might be that you can, and I think you can identify those players out front as recruits say, as prospects who have some kind of what one might be able to infer as an inherent capacity 
to do this kind of balancing and then to be able to profit from dialing back, you know, dial back, speed up, et cetera, et cetera, to be able to titrate their actions spontaneously on the field as a result of the kind of maybe, let's say, inherent capacities they have reinforced by the coaching and the techniques that they use, uh, that they learn uh, on the practice field and they can um, put into action on the field. Yes. Yeah, Scott, I wanted to talk about something that Ted had just mentioned. You said don't focus as much on speed, but focus more on the explosiveness and the speed decisions. Is that play speed? Are we talking about more focused on not necessarily the 40-yard dash speed, but we're talking about the play speed? I know we've talked about that a few times uh, in the podcast, Scott. Can you elaborate? Yeah, no, I think I think what we're talking about here is something much more than just do you always focus on being fast in your decisions or are you always being careful? But, you know, these games we're talking about are games of situations that vary and change and probabilities that vary and change. And so there may be moments where you shift into this, Hey, I've got to make a quick decision and I know the risks I'm going to take, right? Because I, I may not have enough time. I mean, when you focus on speed, you're limiting the amount of time you have to process the visual details. Um, this happens in football. You try to rush a decision you're, you may not get a f- complete picture of what you what just happened or what's happening in front of you. And so you're making a, a reaction on the basis of partial information. We see this in baseball as well. You know, there's a, you know, uh, Paul Phillips, our, our hitting guru, talks about situations where uh, a hitter is hitting the ball to the opposite side, the back side of the field often. And the coach instruction might be, hey, you need to swing sooner. Well, swinging, swinging sooner means you're starting that reactive process earlier, which means you have less time to process the pitch. And so you may be setting this hitter up to fail if the hitter needs more time to visually process the pitch. Uh, so I think when we're talking about this play speed, I think it's a matter of being able to adapt your speed accuracy trade-off to the situation and to the moment. Um, it is really interesting based on what we were just talking about that I mean, in the lab, we can, we can have, we can get people to push faster, right? And some people you can push faster than others. And at some point you're going to be pushing fast enough where you're, you're guessing, right? You're just going so fast. You're just guessing. And so everyone, we can push a little further, but what's interesting about the tasks and the way we instruct them is we encourage athletes to go as fast as you can but stay under control. And we don't really define it very specifically. And we have some boundaries, right? So they can't take their time and, you know, go as slow as, as, as you know, the slowest human beings on the planet can go, but they can't go so fast they're guessing. But even within these constraints and with those instructions to go fast, but stay under somewhat control, there's variability in where athletes land, right? Some would just, hey, I'm going to push it to that fast end and I'm going to allow myself to make a few more errors. And others are like, yeah, I'm going to push it fast, but I'm going to stay right in this sweet spot where I'm still achieving a high level of accuracy. And and those individual differences do, I think, give us a little bit of insight into where an athlete likes to kind of set their, 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 uh, their sights when they're, when they're in a quick reactive situation. And, you know, there, there are a couple of, you know, 
important points there. One about the situational specificity. Decisions get made on the basis of the situation you're in, and also decisions can be made, and very accurate ones on the basis of partial information. I mean, how many times do you see, for example, a defensive back, a cornerback, who's able to knock down a pass, and he's just barely getting a little bit of of a, of a shot of the of the pass out of the corner of his eye, but he, he can make this on the basis of partial information, a very rapid reaction, and knock down a pass. And then people in the stands say, oh, my goodness, what an incredible athlete. Yes, these are these split-second, late split-second decisions that athletes can make in, the, in, the matter, in a matter of milliseconds. Very rapid adjustments in their behavior based on partial information and probably situational influences in terms of the, the nature of the, the past, the nature of the down, et cetera, et cetera. A bunch of decisions that are also made probably in, in anticipation because a lot of what happens is based on these quality athletes knowing their opponents, knowing situations, and being able to anticipate in advance of the play, having an idea, and then being able to react in very rapid fashion as the play is unfolding and, and, and many times near the very end of an action in an unbelievable way. Yeah, Brandon, you had just talked about this coming from University of Florida with Coach Napier. You know, let's just say, for instance, just this example, one of the measures we, we look at measuring for teams is impulse control. But if you can look at a player's impulse control score, and it might be, let's say, low, but he's a 95 speed and four accuracy, that might reveal itself differently in play versus a low impulse control score with high accuracy and low speed. Can you can you talk about that? Yeah, sure. And and you know Scott hit on this a, a second ago, talking about the hitters, you know, and a hitter's visual. I think the speed accuracy as part of the S two evaluation is very uh, uh, elucidating as to an athlete's style of play, not just about speed over accuracy or accuracy over speed, but how it overlays with the cognitive profile in general. Right. And, and we talk about, you know, we talk about that frequently with coaches when you see an, like, I'm just going to use impulse control. Scott used the visuals, but impulse control manifests in wild ways on the football field. And so when you get guys who score in that 40 to 60 percentile range on impulse control, it's key to look at the speed accuracy trade-off because a 40 on impulse control means something way different when he's at the 94th percentile on speed and the first percentile on accuracy than if it's in the inverse. Because if you have a tendency to have impulsive actions and you're focused on speed, you're going to make a lot of mistakes that are impulse based. You're going to jump off sides. You're not going to be able to control the, uh, you know, uh, grabbing a jersey when you feel like you've got over aggressiveness, um, all of those sorts of things. Yeah. Yeah. That that kind of play. And so when we have those discussions, it's 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 we get the reaction. Oh, so this is a bad thing. Well. I think it depends on what you're asking that athlete to do. You know, if you want a guy who's a heat-seeking missile where it's heat, see ball, hit ball, uh, go on the first movement and identify the back, it's not a bad thing at all. You need those kinds of guys. But if you're expecting a zone corner with low impulse control and high high speed to be a patient defensive back, that's not going to happen. Right. And so that that can give you a lot of insight into 
uh, a lot about that player, but I think you do need to look at that speed accuracy with the overlay of the whole cognitive profile. And I think you're suggesting here, Brandon, it can be position specific. What are the expectations Absolutely. of a given position that a player plays? You might have different expectations for someone who's a nose guard versus someone yeah. who's a corner. And Ted, and you know this, even within a position, right? You're asking linebackers to do very different things. You know, a Mike linebacker versus a Will is going to be, they're doing very different things, especially if you're going to use him as a star up on the line versus a drop drop and cover the slot kind of guy. Mm -hmm. Same position, very different cognitive demands. Yes, I agree completely. Brandon, I was going to make a comment that that was so well said, and it really speaks to how understanding the full profile vis-a-vis the speed accuracy trade-off keeps you from making the wrong coach and, you know, the wrong teach and potentially helping an athlete who could benefit from from a little bit of encouragement to play with a little boy, yeah, a little more right. abandoned. Uh, you know, you get an athlete who has all these high level cognitive skills, but in a reactive situation, when things are fast and quick, they tend to shade more towards being more accurate, more deliberate. And a coach says, gosh, I just wish they would speed up a little bit. And you look at the rest of the profile and say, boy, they could handle going faster, right? right? Their brains work faster. They have great impulse control. You know, conflict doesn't throw them off. They can improvise quickly when they need to. So I need to spur on this athlete to to play a little faster and practice playing faster. But you're right. If you look at the profile and you see an athlete with low perception speed, they need longer to process things and low impulse control and conflict jams up their system and you want them to play faster, you're going to create some potential problems for right. that. Yeah, we we saw this, Scott. Um, I don't know if you remember this. It's probably five or six, or even seven years ago uh, when we were kicking around LSU testing athletes one summer and Stephen Ridley, uh, the, you know, I mean, Stephen spent years in the NFL uh, and he wanted to take the eval. And, and and after he got done, we went through it. And his he was like at the he was really high on accuracy and low on speed. And when we discussed that, he was like, you know, this is interesting, man, because this is not how I used to play. But after playing for years, I, I, I would get yelled at all of the time for not being right. And I needed to slow down and, and be more, you know, focus on accuracy. And that's kind of how he lived. He, that wasn't how he was at LSU. He was a very fast, uh, freak neck, you know, all speed kind of guy. Um, but but over time sort of adjusted that based on the needs of, I guess, what his, you know, what his coach wanted. There's a bottom line to this from, from my uh, perspective, and it's one, the player knowing him or herself, and two, the coach knowing that player well. That way you can optimize the person's performance based on the set of cognitive skills they bring to play and the physical skills they bring, bring to play. And that's the value of having these kinds of assessments, these cognitive assessments, to be able to marry those two in a way heretofore that has not been done. And yeah, Ted, I think can, that that's the future. Yeah. That, that, is the, that is the future of S2, because I don't think we want to get trapped into these yes-no decisions on a player. When we're selecting a player, it shouldn't be about, um, you know, this guy is not draftable. It's about what cognitive skill set does this athlete have that they can bring to the table? 
And when you identify that, you can not only fit for what you need, because as you know, these draft room these days, they are, they are drafting for a very particular vision about what they need that player to do. But it also allows the player to have a lot more success, right? Guys get cut that are phenomenal football players, but they're not fitting the vision that the coach has for that particular demand or that particular position. So from a scouting perspective, I think we need to start shaping our thoughts around. And as a business, as a company, we need to sort of help athletes from a developmental standpoint to get to, hey, this is who I am. This is how I play. I can fit here. I, mm-hmm. I can fit in this system. My player can fit in this system uh, and is going to have some success. Right. Um, and Paul has talked about, you know, uh, Scott would have more detail on this, but the pinch hitter at Lipscomb is a kid who was sort of struggling a little bit and his cognitive profile suggested he would fit in very well uh, in certain types of situations, certain at bats. And Paul moved the kid from an everyday lineup guy where he was hitting like 230 to a pinch hitter that was used frequently almost every game in certain situations. And the, and the, and the boy ended up hitting like 700 his senior year and helped, helped the guys get to the, the college world series. Not only did they, did the team get better, but the athlete had a whole lot more success when he was yes. in where he was suited for. Yes. And I think what, what these um, assessments do is that they allow coaches. It's not just developing training techniques that enhance the skills of a player, move them closer in the direction of optimizing their their play. But it also allows coaches to make decisions about how do they modify their offenses? How do they modify their defenses to accommodate this full set of skills that the player player brings to bear? They it, it works in both directions in terms of uh, not just modifying the player, but modifying defenses and offenses and so on. Because I, I think I remember Dave Aranda saying that it caused him to change his coaching philosophy where he's trying to fit players into his defensive structure. And he became much more flexible to build his defenses around the cognitive and physical, physical skill sets of his players which is, from my perspective, makes infinitely good sense to do. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing, Ted. To uh, put a bow on this recording, I would love to move into our three funny and interesting uh, questions that we end. And I think... I had forgotten about that, Harrison. No, I think you're going to like these. These are... I I tailored them a little bit more toward uh, you, Dr. Teddy B. Okay. Do you have a good Dusty Baker or Nolan Ryan story that the audience would eat up? <laughs> oh, okay. Okay, I'll tell you. I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a Dusty Baker story, okay? So Dusty is playing AAA in Richmond in 1970, and I'm playing AA in Memphis. He's with the Braves. I had been traded to to the Mets, so I was with the Mets. He and I had been teammates in, in, in 1969 at Shreveport, and we got to be friends then. And um, some way, somewhere probably halfway through the season, he was probably hitting 340, 350 near the top of the International League and, and hitting. I was doing very well. I was at some during 
the midpoint of the season, leading the league and hitting that sort of stuff. And he wrote me a letter and I wish I had saved this letter. So now Dusty at that point in time is like 21. Okay. And he's tearing it up in AAA. And uh, in his letter, he said, man, I'm scalding the ball, man. They can't, can't get me out, man. I'm going to get a show soon, man. I'm ready. And I remember sitting in, in front of my, uh, my locker on the stool reading and just laughing, man, thinking there's Bake, man. He's just full of confidence. He man. Play. I mean, he really – but he's – man, Teddy, I'm <laughs> scalding the ball, man. I'm going to be in the show soon, man. They can't get me out that of here. That is awesome. Play. So that's, that's Dusty. He, he's, he's an incredible that person. That is such a fun story. Thank you for sharing yeah. that. Our next question is, uh, you were a two-sport athlete at UCLA, and if you could go back in time, would you play both sports again or would you specialize in one? I would play both. You would play both. Uh, why is that? Because I love to play both of them. And I actually think that uh, from my perspective, there's nice transfer. That uh, there's, and, and we'll go back to a Dusty Baker story. Okay. He told me that uh, when he was managing, you know, I don't know, the Cubs or somebody, uh, he said he really likes guys on his team who have played football. He said they're tough, they know how to train, they know how to play hard. And, um, that's the sort of transfer I think that uh, that baseball players benefit from. I mean, um, I know from my perspective, and Scott played football and baseball. For me, there's a different level of intensity in football, and you really push yourself through difficult times playing football. And I think that uh, serves you well as a baseball player. Okay? Meeting, you know, there are different kinds of challenges in baseball, but there's persistence, there's hard work, there's determination. And you have to have that in spades when you're on the football field. No, no doubt about it. Who is uh, your favorite hitter of all time? Will be the last question. <laughs> My favorite hitter of all time. Tony Gwynn, baby. Come on, Ted. Give it to me. <laughs> all time San Diego State leading assist leader in basketball. I just saw that the other day. How crazy is that? Gwynn, an incredible hitter. But I, you know, I'm going to say this and, and maybe you can edit it out, but I've never seen anybody hit a baseball like Barry Bonds. Like, oh, period. Support. Ever. Total support. And, yeah. Never seen anybody hit. And, and uh, uh, another Dusty Baker story. Okay. One night, it must have been like 2001 or two, and I'm watching the Giants uh, and, and I think it was the Dodgers uh, on television. And um, Bonds comes up in like the bottom of the ninth inning and they're playing in San Francisco. And this pitcher, right-handed pitcher, relief pitcher, throws a perfect pitch to Bonds. It's on the black, on the knees. It looked like a splitter or something, slider. It wasn't a fastball. And it was on the black, on the knees, away from Bonds. And Bonds smoked a line drive down the left field line for a double, just scalded the ball, just ripped it. And the next day I called Dusty. I said, hey, man. I said, Bonds is amazing, man. I mean, this was a perfect pitch. And he smoked it down the left field line. And Dusty said to me, he does that with any pitch <laughs> anywhere in the world. Dude. He said, there's no place he doesn't hit hard in the strike zone. I mean, I've never seen anybody hit a ball like Barry Bonds. I think it's a very fair answer, right, guys? I mean, he's an unbelievable player. 
Well, Ted, thank you so much for joining us today to discuss the speed accuracy trade-off and why it's so important to understand the differences. We'll have you on again, I promise, but we really appreciate your time today. My pleasure, man. We hope today was a learning experience for you, understanding how and why athletes are able to toggle between making rapid decisions and making decisions accurately is a critical piece to understanding your athlete's decision-making tendencies. As always, if you like the content we are putting out, please subscribe with that plus sign at the top of your app, leave a review about the episode, and please share it with a friend. Follow us on Twitter at S2Cognition and Instagram at S2.Cognition. If you'd like to get in touch with the program, please visit our website at S2Cognition podcast. Thanks again for listening to our podcast, the S2 Cognition Podcast, and I'm your host, Harrison Hunter, signing off for now. Talk to you soon.